0: Every 15 years or so in tech, and and you and I have been around for long enough to have seen a couple of these waves, there tends to be a platform shift. And the last significant platform shift was in the mid-2000s when uh, VMware came about. and, And things moved away from a dedicated physical server for every application into this consolidated, virtualized world. And it was, you know, revolutionary. There's a similar platform shift going on right now. It started with a technology, an open source technology that came out of Google called Kubernetes. Kubernetes was invented about six years ago. The the folks at Google open sourced it and, and kind of donated it to the community. And today, Kubernetes is the de facto operating system of the cloud.
1: Welcome to season two of the Tech Sales Insights Podcast. I'm David Noor, your co-host. Let me ask you, what lessons have you learned from the global pandemic? How is the nature of technology sales evolving in your organization? And what new skills and traits will enable you, your team and your organization to remain relevant? These are just some of the conversations the sales community founder, Randy Seidel and I, have each week with fabulous guests this coming year. This podcast and the sales community is all about your transformation to a more data-savvy selling pro given the expedited trends of working from anywhere, more sophisticated remote selling, and increased reliance by the entire sales organization on digital ecosystems. Join us each week as we explore digital skills, a relationship-first focus, and a personal brand committed to exceptional experiences. Randy and I will interview sales professionals, managers, and leaders on how they're thinking and leading differently in the tech sales evolution. So let's get started. Hey, Randy, our guest today on the Tech Sales Insight podcast is Keegan Riley, Chief Revenue Officer at Sysdig. Tell us a little about Keegan.
0: Yeah, Keegan's great. We uh, first met when HP bought Nimble, and uh, he was uh, working with a whole bunch of uh, you know, folks that I know well and worked with uh, at HP. He's uh, very highly known, uh, respected. He's a great sales leader has fantastic relationships. Uh, Partners really love him. And now he's doing an impressive job as CRO at Sysdig. Look forward to hearing
1: Keegan's insights. Absolutely. Welcome back to another episode of the Sales Community's Tech Sales Insight Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Keegan Riley, the Chief Revenue Officer at Sysdig.
0: Keegan, welcome. Nora, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be on the pod. It's great to have
1: you. For those that may not know as much about you, can you start by sharing a little about your professional background, where you've been, what you've done, and how you've arrived here?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. So I I started my career on kind of a technical path. I studied electrical engineering in in undergrad and kind of in the the late 90s in Silicon Valley, and I thought I was going to you know, start a tech company, be a famous engineer, and and things like that. Pretty quickly, figured out that I was much better at talking about technology than creating technology, and so I I shifted over into sales fairly early in my career, and spent about fifteen years in the data storage industry. That's where you and I first met. I, I uh, joined HP via a company called Left Hand Networks, and and back when Randy Seidel was running the sales org there, and, and you were presenting to us. That's kind of our first uh, meeting. Uh, and then after that, data storage startup called Nimble Storage for about six years. Joined it when it was quite small in 2012. Uh, we were, I think, $14 million in revenue that year. And then over the course of six years, we grew it uh, through a successful IPO uh, to approaching $500 million in annual revenue and an eventual acquisition back into HPE, spent a year there leading North America data storage for the consolidated portfolio and then about three years ago, I joined a company called Sysdig, which is uh, where I am now. I'm the chief revenue officer, overseeing all customer-facing functions for Sysdig.
1: So, it's, for our audience, it's a testament that even if you hear me speak like years ago, we still talk. You're still friends, right? It's, it's okay. And 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 also HPE. There's no getting away from HPE, right? If you leave, you start with another company. We're going to buy you back.
0: We're <laughs> that's you back. right. That's like, right. So well, it was that uh, it was that signed copy of Relationship Economics back then. Boom. You know? That's what really
1: hooked me. R- remind me of your Venmo account that I'll send you some <laughs>
0: funds, right? There you go. This, this... Well, I, I, I want a signed copy of the new one, buddy. I, I'm excited about Curvebenders. Yeah,
1: likewise. So this, this episode is brought to you by Relationship Economics and Curvebenders. So, <laughs> I, I appreciate the shout out. So Keegan, talk a little about Cystic. What do you guys do and how do you impact that enterprise client?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So just to set a little context to to make it make sense, you know, there's every 15 years or so in tech, and and you and I have been around for long enough to have seen a couple of these waves, there tends to be a platform shift. And the last significant platform shift was in the mid 2000s when uh, VMware came about and, and things moved away from a dedicated physical server for every application into this consolidated, virtualized world. And it was... You know, revolutionary. There's a similar platform shift going on right now. It started with a technology, an open source technology that came out of Google called Kubernetes. Kubernetes was invented about six years ago. The, the folks at Google open sourced it and, and kind of donated it to the community. And today, Kubernetes is the de facto operating system of the cloud. It's an orchestration tool that enables companies to build applications differently. It's enabling folks to use microservices and continuous integration, continuous development to build apps in the cloud. And this platform shift sort of breaks legacy tooling and specifically breaks legacy security tooling. So with that as context, Sysdig is the secure DevOps company. What we do is we allow our customers to confidently run modern cloud applications securely and with visibility. So we're a SaaS platform with about 500 customers, and we enable our folks to uh, embrace this platform shift.
1: What intrigued you? I mean, you've got a great background. What intrigued you to want to come here and, and run sales?
0: Well, you know, I would love to tell you that it's just I'm, you know, have tremendous foresight and can snip out technology trends, but that would be a little bit misleading. I found Sysdig because our CEO at Nimble, Suresh Vasudevan, um, when I spent a year at HPE, he spent a year well, he spent half a year traveling the globe and he would send me pictures of you know, the, the the Maldives and Bali and things like that. And, and for those six months, I hated him. But for the next six months, he went to be an entrepreneur in residence at Excel. Ping Lee from Excel was on our board at Nimble. Ping is also on our board at Sysdig. And so Suresh became the CEO of Sysdig. And that's, you know, kind of what put it on my radar. He's been such a great friend and mentor over the years. And I, I believe that, you know, one of the keys to career success is working with people that, you, you respect and have a great working relationship with. So that's the first thing that attracted me to the company. Um, and then seeing the market segment and seeing what was coming with the platform shift, you know, that became really, really interesting. So those are the, the two things that, that made it an attractive place to land.
1: And Systech is backed by some really marquee investment partners.
0: Indeed. Yeah, indeed. In fact, I'm happy to announce that today's a pretty exciting day for us at SysDig. We've raised another round of funding and we've crossed a pretty important milestone. We are now a a $1.2 billion valuation startup. Um, So we're really, really proud of that. Our initial investors, Excel and Bain Capital, have been with us sort of through all the rounds We've added two new investors in this round, Prem G Invest and Third Point, and Goldman Sachs, Glynn Capital, and Insight Venture Partners joined us in the last round as well. So we've got a, just a, a, a tremendous board, great expertise, great backing, and you know we're ready to, to step on the gas here.
1: Kudos to you guys for man, Randy Saddle has now got a whole plethora of friends that are unicorns. And uh, <laughs> no, joking aside, it's a testament to Suresh and 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 you. And it seems like you you did it at Nimble Storage. It seems like you like that early stage model to then build and grow and put in some ways your indelible imprint on its go to market strategy. Is that a fair assessment?
0: Yeah, definitely a fair assessment. I, I mean, I think, you know, this is a conversation I've had, you know, numerous times in, in several different contexts. And I think, you know, there's different modes of company's evolution. And, you know, there's no, to me, there's no, no one is better than the other. It's just that different phases require different muscles. And I really pride myself on being able to 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 function at a high level in any size environment. The one thing that's really important to me is, I want to work in a high performance, fast moving entrepreneurial environment with low bureaucracy. And probably more importantly than that, I want to work at a place where the culture of the company, the company's values align really well with my personal values. I think when you, when you kind of, you know, find the right fit then you can follow your passions and and great results tend to follow.
1: I love your tightened aperture on where and how is a good environment for you to thrive within. Keegan, where did that come from? How how did you determine this is really a good fit for me or this type of an environment that you just described?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And it's, I think, a highly personal decision for people, right? I think it, it starts with knowing yourself. You've got to have kind of a strong grasp on your personal values. And you've got to, you know, I've always thought about things in terms of high level goals. You know, there's, of course, you've got your small goals, like, you know, wake up on time and and go to the gym and eat vegetables and things like that. But those tend to be in service of higher level goals. And one of my, I, you know, I personally have two high level goals, one's personal, one's professional. And, and my professional high level goal, since I was quite young in my career, was to be a CRO. I, remember, I think it was a VP of sales at the time. I'm not C, I'm not sure CRO was a title back then. But I've always wanted to lead a tech sales force for, you know, a big tech company. And so, you know, one of my kind of personal values is grit, grit. I'm really big on, you know, grit is kind of a, there's a great book by Angela Duckworth where she sort of lays out her definition of grit and she defines it as the combination of passion and the ability to persevere over long periods of time. And so, you know, that's one of the things that I really value. And so I like working in companies that are that way. I'm also really big on gratitude, open-mindedness and humility. And so I want to work in companies where people have some of those same values. And I think, you know, there's a tendency to, you know, cultural fit in some ways has become a controversial term. I'm not sure why in some ways, but, you know, cultural fit is not necessarily about finding people that look like me, that think like me, that like the same sports teams as me, that, you know, can get a beer with me after work. Cultural fit is about aligning those values. And so that's, you know, I think Sysdig is a beautiful place. And the reason that I enjoy the build phase is because it's an opportunity to to kind of shape that, right? And so every company has a brand from the day it started by its founder. So you have to acclimate to that in some ways. But if you join early enough, you have an opportunity to put your fingerprints on the evolution of that company and to build something really, really special. It's hard work. But, you know, when you look back on it, to me, it's some of my most proud career accomplishments.
1: That's fantastic. And can't wait to see kind of where Cystic goes. Switch gears for a second. We're now uh, 13, 14 months. I lose count. I, I'm pretty sure March alone was like eight months. Uh, you know, But yeah. we're, we're yeah. well into this pandemic. What are some of the trends, Keegan, that you've observed that you believe will continue to impact us you know, beyond obviously working from anywhere and some of this other things we've seen, but beyond the, on the other side of this pandemic, what yeah. do you think is gonna is gonna really have a, a a lasting impact?
0: I mean, it's a great question because I'm not sure that we go back to, to the way things were before. I think it'll it'll approach normalcy, but I think things have changed in, in a permanent way. And you know, the biggest thing, and you sort of mentioned it, but you know, the the, the remote work, I think is an opportunity to introduce more career opportunities for folks that are in non-traditional tech locations. I mean, for example, I, I live in Chicago, and in the back of my mind, I've always sort of thought, ultimately, I may have to move back to the Bay Area because that's where the action is and that's where the offices are. You know, Now, I'm not so sure about that anymore because for us, even when we reopen, you know, we probably will not go back to requiring folks to be in the office all five days a week it just doesn't make a lot of sense to force people to make brutal commutes and and pay outlandish prices for homes and things like that. And it gives us the ability to go hire talent regardless of where they are. So now all of a sudden, instead of just focusing on the Bay Area for engineering talent, we're stabbing up in other areas like Belgrade and Milan, Italy and Saragossa, Spain and Raleigh, North Carolina and Chicago, Illinois. And it turns out there's a ton of talented people. In all of these locations um, that, uh, that we've been lucky enough to recruit who have been a big part of our success. And so I think, you know, remote work is certainly here to stay. We were pretty well prepared for it. Organizations that are still kind of getting their arms around it, they're going to have to continue thinking about it. The second thing is you've got to get better at working asynchronously. Um, and I think that's a positive thing overall because it, it lends itself to a better work-life balance right? If you're dealing with multiple time zones and things like that, now it's hard to do because you've got to build new muscles in your organization. And you've got to get comfortable with documenting things and, you know, kind of writing handbooks and and putting things in writing so that it doesn't require a live meeting to transfer that information. But if you start doing those things well, then you can become much more productive as an individual and as a company.
1: Let's build on that talent conversation. Are there some top attributes you believe are predictors of future success of a great sales rep?
0: Yeah, 100%. And I've, I've seen this in multiple different industries and in companies of different sizes and in, in different locations, things like that. I fundamentally believe that in tech sales, if you're selling a complex solution to a technical buyer, there's a few things that are non-negotiable. The first for me, I I mentioned grit as something that is one of my personal core values. I look for that in sales reps. If, uh, If you give me a person who is relentless in their desire to succeed, you can't stop a person like that, right? It's somebody that can hear no 50 times and still attack the 51st sales call with the same enthusiasm as the first and has passion about doing it and joy about connecting with people, You know that's a recipe for success. Um, so if you find a gritty individual, you know, you're, you're 90% of the way there. The second big thing that we look for is IQ and EQ, right? So if you've got a pretty complex technical sale, you have to have the intellectual horsepower to understand what you're selling. And you have to understand it well enough that you can explain it to people that you know may not be super familiar with the, the the depth of the environment that you're operating in. And then the EQ part of it is: do I have the empathy to put myself in the other person's shoes? Do I fundamentally understand what my customer is trying to accomplish? And can I think about the positive business outcomes that they're trying to achieve in their business and connect my technology with the capabilities that they require to achieve their goals? And do you genuinely care about helping them achieve those positive business outcomes or are you just chasing a PO? So that last kind of third element of it is... You know, I want people who kind of a, a genuine good heart about helping their customers. And, and that's one of our core values. It's just love our customers. You've got to put the customer at the core of what you do. I believe that if you make decisions based on a first principle of this is what's in the best interest of the customer, let's make them successful, then good things happen. So the three things I look for, again, are grit, IQ, EQ, and a true ability to love your customer. How
1: would your response change if I asked you about a sales manager or sales leader?
0: The the most important thing, and and this is a hard lesson for all of us who have moved into management roles. You know, I, I think one of the biggest struggles that top reps have in moving into the management role is, you know, when when you're the number one rep in the company, it's your name in lights, right? You're the person on stage you know, getting handed the, the trophy and the Rolex watch and, and getting the pats on the back. When you shift into management, you're the person giving the Rolex watch and the trophy and, and giving the pats on the back. And the most successful managers and leaders really get great satisfaction out of seeing other people succeed, right? It's no longer about you. It's about the people on your team. And if you can shift your focus successfully, and if it genuinely brings you joy, you're going to be a great manager. That's the biggest thing to me. Where I've seen folks fail to become good managers, and this is not a bad thing, by the way, I know many, many people who have made a killing carrying a bag for their entire career because they know themselves and they know that they want their name in lights and they want to make huge W-2s and they want to be the folks on stage. So one is not better than the other, but it goes back to what I mentioned earlier know yourself and understand what brings you joy in your life and your career and and follow that.
1: So do you believe, and you alluded to some of this with the geographic kind of boundaries that are no longer there, do you believe attracting, developing, and retaining that exceptional talent has become more difficult or less during this pandemic and why?
0: I think it was easier for a period of about six to nine months because, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty in the world and, and you know, people were sort of, you know, the, the boats were parked in a safe harbor for a little while, you know, and it was, it was hard to think about making a move when you couldn't get together with, with folks in person. What we're seeing now, and, and I've talked to a lot of my peers, and, and this is pretty consistent, what we're seeing now is it's, it's easier, it's harder to retain folks if you don't have great culture because people are sick of Zoom right? And it's they've, they've been 12 months now sitting in their home offices, sitting on Zoom. And a lot of folks by nature just want change and want a, a dynamic environment. And sometimes the grass looks greener. So we're, it, it's a red hot market right now. There's a ton of people hiring and people are starting to take calls in, in a lot of ways. And, and we're, we're benefiting from that. There's a lot of people that want to come work at Sysdig and uh, it's an exciting time for us in, in many, many ways. But I think it's harder to retain talent these days. And I think that will continue for the foreseeable future.
1: Seidel and I have laughed about this, that we're, we're dating ourselves, that RevOps was not a thing when we were selling, right? Here's a call sheet. Here's a bunch of contacts. Go for it. So what's your lens? What's your perspective on RevOps and its impact on kind of a profitable revenue growth and, and really the, the hyper growth that Sysdig has kind of hit it
0: for? Yeah, no, I'm with you on it. I mean, I, you know, my first sales jobs, you, you got a cube, a landline and, and a yellow pages and, and, you know, sink or swim. I do think that thinking about revenue operations as a more holistic approach is the right way to think about it in a modern world. And the reason for that is because I think access to information has gotten much, much easier. There's so much less friction, right? When I started calling on customers, you couldn't Google things and come up with, you know, all the information that you needed. And so the buyer's journey, you know, they tended to get 10 to 15% down the path of a purchase, and then they would engage with vendors to educate themselves. Today, a buyer can get, you know, 85% down their journey before they ever have one conversation with a vendor. And so you've got to think about things differently. You've got to think about nurturing accounts before they're ready to sit down in a conference room with you. And so, you know, thinking about marketing as the very, very first engagement with with a potential customer and a prospect and product-led growth and free trials and, and things like that, you know, you have to find ways to fuel this sort of Uh, flywheel of interest and, and help create demand for your offerings in a new way that's not just starting at the first sales call. And then after the fact, you know, especially in our business, we tend to be very heavy in large accounts. You know, we've got a lot of Fortune 500 companies. Our our top 50 customers average over half a million dollars in ARR with us. And so, you know, it's it's long sales cycles, and it's expensive to land customers like this. If you don't think about how to make them successful after that first sale, you know, then your churn rates are going to be pretty terrible. And so. You know, the customer success function is another part of the revenue operations team that, you know, I think we didn't think about much 10 and 20 years ago. And we're lucky enough to have a tremendous VP of customer success at SysDig, Paris George Alice, who's a guy that I've known for about 15 years. We worked together back at EMC in, in the early days, and he runs customer success and support for us. And we really wrap our arms around those customers after the fact. And and we have technical account managers that that help them with not just our product, but everything that touches our product. You know, that's why our net revenue retention and gross revenue retention rates are off the charts great, because we think about the customer's journey after the purchase order and before the purchase order. So to me, that's what revenue operations is all about.
1: You brought up marketing, obviously you know marketing has changed dramatically in the last 14 months because there's no demo days there's no trade shows and conferences and we're not we're not doing a lot of what we did pre-pandemic so what do you think the role of marketing and channels should be in a successful kind of cystic go-to-market strategy
0: yeah you know we we loved our live trade shows in a pre-covid world i mean we were at we were at every KubeCon and every red hat summit and every vmworld and you know, if we could set up a booth there, we were going to do it. Because for a startup, you know, when you get 15,000, 20,000 people going to one location at one time, and you can kind of, you know, uh, do a live demo 100 times a day, it's a beautiful way to generate demand. So, you know, that was something that, that was a big fuel line for us. And, and when it turned off, you know, thankfully, it wasn't our only fuel line. We were already fairly forward-thinking in terms of how we thought about digital and account-based marketing and things like that. We, our, our CMO Janet Matsuda, who was also our CMO at Nimble, and and uh, and Shanta, who runs DemandGen for us, they're really, really smart women who understand, you know, how to think about marketing and kind of across all facets. But the digital engagement is something that's become so, so critical. And and again, it goes back to that flywheel concept of me. Media- the customer where they are in their journey. You know, if they're not ready to have a live conversation, give them a white paper, give them content, give them information that's going to help them kind of progress, you know, their path. And so the more you can do that, the better it's going to be for you and the better it's going to be for your customers.
1: So uh, do you guys also have channel relationships? And what does that look like?
0: We do. We started life in a primarily direct motion. Part of this funding that we've just closed is earmarked to making a pretty aggressive investment into channels. So we've just brought on a a, a VP of worldwide channels who's building out programs. We've always been fairly strong in in Europe and North America is a big, big push for us. We've got great tech alliances with AWS and Google and Microsoft and IBM. And then we've got great tech alliances with some of the adjacent technology, but channel partners is going to be a big part of the next phase of our growth here
1: You mentioned your brilliant taste in the relationship Economics book earlier,
0: which which (laughs)
1: our listeners really appreciate. I'm
0: very well read. I've I've read that book three times. That's that's it. That's what I'm saying. It it usually takes
1: people three times to read what I write, which is, again, part of your brilliance. But joking aside, how do you, especially as a seasoned leader, it's very easy to say, you know, I kind of know that and Get comfortable with kind of what you know and how you do what you do. And so how do you continue to learn and grow as a leader to make sure your knowledge, your skills, your behaviors are not becoming stale?
0: Yeah, it's a great, great question. And, you know, it's funny, I had a about a, a year into my time as as uh, the uh, CRO here at SysDig I had a a fascinating conversation with with Eric Wolford at Excel, who's on our board. And I remember it it was sort of an eye-opening conversation because his advice to me was, you're right at the sweet spot of your career where you know a lot, you've got a lot of experience, but you don't yet think you know everything. You don't have much of an ego. You're still trying to learn. You're still talking to other people. Hold on to that and don't lose that because there's a lot of people whose careers plateau once they drink their own Kool-Aid, right? And and the moment you think you know everything and there's nothing left for you to learn is the moment you become obsolete. You may not know it at that point, but there's a lot of people out there that have been obsolete for for a long period of time because they stopped growing. If you don't have a growth mindset, if you don't understand that the world changes every day, you know, then then you're going to be in trouble. And so I've been lucky enough to have a a support system around me and my family and my friends and and my wife who who take great pride in, you know, taking me down a peg or two anytime my head gets too big. That's a common
1: trade of our wives, by the way.
0: Exactly. So I've never, at at no point have I developed an ego. And, you know, like I said, one of my core values is sort of an open-minded approach to life. And I genuinely enjoy learning from other people's experiences. So it's an easy thing for me to do. I just like conversations. I like learning from people. I enjoy proving myself wrong. And my personality type, is sort of debate oriented. So I, I will, I'll debate things for sport and, you know, when I find myself proven wrong. Sometimes I, I like it.
1: So talking about learning, talking about growing, thinking about your own journey, are there some coaching or advice you received, which you believe has had a profound impact on you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it, it goes back to that growth mindset. You know, early, early in my career, I was at a pretty small company um, that wasn't growing very quickly, but I kept getting promoted. And so I stayed there for, you know, probably a couple of years longer than, than I should have. But every year I got a new title. And so I, I felt like I was, you know, doing really, really well. And, and I had a great mentor at that company who sort of pulled me aside and said, listen, don't take this the wrong way, but you don't yet know what you don't know, and so you've got a lot of work to do. First, you've got to figure out what you don't know, and then you've got to go learn it. So, you know, there's a couple ways you can accomplish that. And so, you know, at that point, I, I went back to business school. I got my MBA from the University of Southern California, and, and then at that point, I was like, okay, now I feel like I I know what I don't know, and now I got to go learn those things. And so, at every decision point in my career. You know, I've evaluated things in the context of, you know, what can I learn? How will this make me better? And, you know, is it going to be a challenging and rewarding experience? And I think, you know, in my parents' day, that tended to be career ladder with one company, and it was a pretty linear line. And so the advice that I'd give people that are, that are earlier in their careers is, it's no longer linear. It's no longer a ladder. It's no longer a straight line. You know, there's going to be times in your career when it feels like you're running on, you know, the people mover at the airport in the right direction where things are just going really, really fast. And then there's going to be other times when, you know, it kind of slows down and maybe you, you take a lateral move or you, you go to a smaller company or a bigger company or you've got, you know, personal challenges that, that come into play. But as long as you're keeping an eye on the big picture and you're pursuing your high level goals over time, And you're learning something new every day and having experiences that make you better and, you know, bring you joy in your life, um, then, you know, you're going to see fantastic results.
1: For our final question, I'm going to give you an option, either a fun Randy Seidel story. Remember, this is a PG-rated show. (laughs) Or... What have you done for fun during this pandemic, and what are you most looking forward to on the other side of it?
0: Oh God, that—that's it. That's a real Sophie's choice you're giving me there, Nard. I'll take a 10-second answer to the second one. During the pandemic, the biggest blessing for me has been being with my family. I've got two young daughters, and you know, last year I was, uh, or in 2019, I was 200,000 miles on United. Last year I was 1,000 miles on United, so being with the family has been great. And the, uh, the 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 funny Seidel story I've got a pretty good one for you. Speaking of my daughters, uh, I was once in Hawaii with Seidel on a club trip back when I was at HP in, in my first stint, and you know we're at the Luau or whatever it is, and, and uh, we're having some cocktails and things like this, and and it's my wife Suzanne and I talking to Seidel, and and uh, I said, Andy I. I don't know if I've told you, but we're expecting our first child. And he pauses, he looks at me, looks at my wife, looks back at me and he goes, which one of you is carrying the baby?
1: <laughs> <laughs> in, you know, in his, in his natural candor, he reminds you that it you should was, go to the gym more often.
0: It was awesome. It was so, <laughs> I mean, because you're, you know, my wife was just meeting him. He's this, you know, big time SVP World of Worldwide Tales or whatever his title is. He's my <laughs> boss's boss's boss and it was the funniest comment and then i think by the end of the night we were form tackling each other on the on the lawn of the luau so uh, that's uh <laughs> it, it's a testament
1: that, of the love that he's got for everybody that he calls a friend. So.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Talking about fostering relationships, Seidel is one of the best connectors in the industry. And I'm sure there's thousands of people that have similar hilarious stories about him. That's fantastic.
1: For our audience, if you joined us late, you've been listening to Keegan Riley, the Chief Revenue Officer at Sysdig. Keegan, what's the best way for our audience to learn more about you and your work?
0: Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. So look me up on, on LinkedIn, Keegan Riley. There's not too many of us out there. It's a unique name, so you can find me there. Or you can reach out to me at at keeganreillyatsystig.com. And happy to have conversations and, and meet new folks and, and talk to you, whether you want career advice or you need secure DevOps software, we can sell to you too.
1: As a reminder for our audience, Keegan will also be Randy and I's guest on uh, Tech Sales Insights Live today at noon Eastern on let's see we're on linkedin and we're on facebook and youtube so i hope you'll join us and jump in with your questions both not only as you heard in this episode has got a great personal background but cystic is doing some really interesting work so keegan thank you for being our guest today
0: thanks for having me nor really appreciate it
1: If you've listened to the Tech Sales Insights recently, you've heard that we're adding a ton of content, best practices, and are scheduling regular virtual sessions such as Tuesdays with Tony and your 10x interactive online roundtables I'll lead each month. Randy and the sales community team have done a fabulous job attracting over 200 CROs, VPs of sales, and thousands of sales professionals, managers, from global tech companies. So we invite you to jump in, ask questions, start conversations, make sure you attend some of these events to elevate your thinking, expand your perspective, and extend your network with other tech sales professionals. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Keegan Riley. What is just uh, I I have known him for a number of years and he's not only just a great guy uh, as, as a person, but uh, kudos on the brand and the career he's built. And, you know, I I hope you heard from our conversation. He kind of knows who he is. And, and that's something that really stands out, whether you, uh, you know, meet him online or meet him in person. uh, He absolutely, He's got that tightened aperture on on, the, on who he is, what he's looking for, what's a good environment for him to, th- to thrive in. So this is the North Summary notes. Hopefully in three minutes or less, I can summarize some of the key ideas. So I, I, again, I took a lot from the platform shift idea of uh, what they're trying to do at Sysdig and is uh, DevOps for security cloud-based. It's a fascinating space that I think is here to stay and is going to continue to have uh, a big impact in our world Uh, Listen to his comments about that conversation, like, do you you know yourself well enough to know environments where you're going to thrive? I got to tell you, in my coaching work, I meet executives, good people who are in the wrong job. And regrettably, sometimes there are good people in the wrong job in the wrong company. And it's just a testament of, did you really not understand what you were signing up for? Did you not understand the culture here? And he's exactly right, that cultural... Fit alignment is as much with your personal values as anything else. So, way too many people I meet believe they're self aware. How well do you know yourself? How well do you know what makes you tick? How well do you know the environments where you can be at your best and where you can't? And do you have the discernment between the two? Listen to how he described those attributes uh, with high predictors of, of future success, grit. IQ plus EQ and that heart, that that servant heart to take care of customers, put the customers at the center. RevOps, really appreciate his comments about the holistic and how they, between VP of customer success and, and technical um, kind of analyst manager, really understanding the buyer's journey. Way too many people think, okay, I close the deal, we're done. That's when the relationship really starts, right? So what do you do, in, especially if you're in the ARR business? You want that recurring revenue. What are you doing to proactively drive an exceptional experience moving forward? Uh, post-pandemic, I love the idea of casting a much wider geo net to identify, attract exceptional talent. You're also gonna have to work that much harder to retain that talent because the market is getting hot. There's pent up demand. And by the way, quality people are always gonna be in demand. So how are you ensuring you are the culture, you are the place that people want to stick around in? As I mentioned toward the tail end of the podcast, Keegan's going to be our guest. Randy and I will host him for a live session on LinkedIn, uh, also on Facebook and YouTube. But I hope you'll join us on LinkedIn and ask you questions. Great, great guy, great background, a lot of great experiences, particularly in building and scaling earlier stage companies uh we turned the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles so check those out on salescommunity.com we've got some incredible guests coming up uh, in the next several episodes so i hope you'll subscribe to tech sales insights wherever you consume podcasts or at salescommunity.com slash events Randy Seidel and I had so much fun that we're back for Season 2. We're so thankful for our listeners on the Tech Sales Insights Podcast. I want to keep producing great content you want to hear. So we'd love to hear your feedback in the Sales Community Podcast thread or simply email podcast at salescommunity.com. Topics, guests, or other issues you'd like us to tackle in the evolution of technology sales. We try to create follow-up opportunities to engage each weekly guest with an Ask Me Anything AMA live stream interview, links to articles featuring our guests, and other resources we think you can learn from and grow through. So don't forget to follow the sales community on various social media channels for our latest updates using the hashtag TechSalesInsights.